to Peer Talk, a dialogue with business owners just like you. Peer Talk conversations run the gamut of business challenges facing owners today. The host of Peer Talk is Dan Crowley, founder and owner of Peer Executive Groups, which provides a safe space for owners to share their experience, grow their businesses, and learn from their peers. Okay, welcome to Peer Talk. There are a number of great business owners out there, just like yourself, who would love to share their experiences with you, and we hope to give them a voice. Today's guest is none other than our own godfather of peer groups, Glenn Leppo, the CEO of Leppo Equipment and Leppo Rents, located in Northern Ohio, also in Texas, and most recently, the Southeast region of the United States. Glenn uh, was preceded by his uh, grandfather, Roy, and uh, his wife, Stella Leppo, who founded Leppo back in 1945, so over 75 years in the business. Currently have a number of locations, I believe six, serving Northeastern Ohio and Western PA. Um, the, uh, the business expanded into Texas and um, also into the Southeast. Glenn has been part of peer groups for well over 20 years, even predating uh, peer executive groups. And uh, with that experience, he worked in compact equipment dealer group, uh, had significant impact there. And then with our groups, he has been a member of the premier group. He has a number of employees participating in our groups and uh, has been responsible for a number of innovations we've used throughout the years. Uh, very active in the original um, uh, chart of accounts, which allows you to compare data with each other. Um, he also is the first one who started us on the path of using rate of change and looking at growth rates in your business. And that's now been integrated in a number of our different tools. And on a personal note, Glenn has never been one to back down from a challenge. And when diagnosed with Parkinson's disease a number of years back, he recommitted himself physically by becoming active and competing in the Senior Olympics of Ohio, as well as the National Senior Olympics, uh, was in 12 events and placed in a number and actually received a gold medal. So with that, let's have Glenn Lepo step up to the mic here. All right, welcome to Peer Talk. And you may have heard there on the onset that we have Glenn Lepo today as a guest. Welcome, Glenn. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. <laughs> hey, no problem. Um, well, you know, Peer Talk is something that we have thought about for a while. Uh, we have so many peer group members and so many peer groups. We're actually up to 20 now, and uh, not everybody gets a chance to to kind of learn from each other. They have certainly some people in their group, but uh, we we believe strongly that Peer Talk is going to have uh, some good content for uh, people to get, to you know grasp some additional information um, as they continue to work on their business and learn from their peers. So, um, with this being June two thousand twenty, uh, how do you feel about what's going on right now? Did you ever expect to see anything like this, or what's what's going on with you and your family and and your business right now? Oh, I absolutely uh, forecasted that we would be uh, in shutdown for coronavirus and all this stuff. No, I, I, <laughs> I had no clue that it was coming. It's, uh, you know, it was looking like 2020 was going to be a pretty decent year. Inflation was low. Unemployment was in good place. Everything was looking pretty good. And 
and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, virus comes and shuts us down. And that, that, that was not within my expectations at all. So yeah, the, go ahead. The strain and the, the strain and the stress that uh, we're seeing on the members is, is definitely record breaking. It's not something that we've ever had before in our past. We've, um, in especially in the case of, of operations that have significant amount of employees, how many employees uh, did you have prior to the? Uh, right around two hundred. Um, uh, we've done some wow. expansion in the last couple of years. We uh, and so you know, we really weren't planning on this. We we've we knew a downturn is coming at some point, but we were pushing it out to twenty, you know, late twenty one, maybe twenty two, uh, from the forecasters we were using, and uh, so we'd stretched ourselves a little thin. We opened a new store in Texas. We're from Ohio. We have seven, eight, depending on how you want to count locations in Ohio, but uh, we opened a new store in Texas, a new oil and gas play, and, and we've opened four stores, two in Alabama, two in Florida as Bobcat dealers. So uh, we've taken on quite a bit and also acquired a company in Canton, Ohio uh, last April. So six new stores in 18 months, and and uh, we knew it was going to be a, a tough spring, but uh, added some additional challenges on top of what we already knew was coming. Yeah, and, and I mean, I know from just my experience with you guys that you had two key operators operating the, the two big divisions of your company. Did you find that you got pulled back in a little bit more? Uh, was there a little bit more of an executive uh, committee concern? Uh, yeah, I've, I've really got... Uh, I got a great team, but you know, with I really took over or got involved in the coronavirus response. It was really a big piece of what I was doing because it's the people side. How do we impact the people who work with us? And and mm-hmm. that's so I spent my time focusing on that. Uh, let the operations guys run the business, but also obviously looking at the financials and what was going on there because. Plenty of challenges on the financial side, but the big question was how do we deal with the, the people issues? Yeah, good point. Good point. That's a, a interesting dynamic. Um, you you have the you know response financially, but then you know you forget about the uh, you know the the people have to work in those conditions. They have to take care of their family and make them comfortable. Um, and you know the worry and concerns just ridiculous levels uh during it now what's your what is your gut your prognosis i mean obviously we have no idea what's going to happen with the virus but do you have any sense of what's happening from the construction industry side well i think the small construction projects i'll you know call it under a million dollars um that probably a lot of ara members really have a significant uh participation in that I think those projects are moving along fairly well. There's some residential housing, pools getting built, all sorts of things that people are doing. And we're seeing it from the homeowner, small contractor business. Uh, we've shifted over time to bigger and bigger projects. So I would say a lot of our equipment's out on the mm-hmm. million dollar to $20 million projects. And okay. uh, those, you know, the pipeline's still there, but the pipeline's draining. And I don't think people are signing on the dotted line to say, yeah, I, I want to start that project now. So some of the contractors we're dealing with are saying, yeah, I got work now, but I'm not sure what's coming after what I've got going. So uh, I think yeah, it might we, be a tough winter just from the standpoint of those big projects not being going. Yeah, we've heard uh, similar concerns <clears throat> echoed around uh, the lower 48 for sure. 
Um, so let's let's change it up a bit. So um, just from a historic standpoint, um, you know, we had started up peer groups in 2001 after a uh, previous crisis um, that took place, and as we all know, and um, then I think we met at the ARA a year after that, or possibly two years. I think it was maybe one year, but um, we had uh, had a ballroom uh, presentation, and you had had swung in and and kind of got started with the uh, what we called the premier group. I don't think we had a name for the group at the time. Um, but reflecting back on uh, your peer group activity with us, you had uh, a couple meetings every year. What, what were some of your uh, some of your thoughts on on the group of guys that you were meeting with? Well, I, it, it was extremely helpful, particularly as we went through challenging times, 2008, 2009. But even, even before then, I think we learned a lot from each other. Um, I was in a dealer or a Bobcat dealer as well as being in the rental business. And so uh, I was already in a dealer peer group, but quite honestly, dealers don't understand rental. Uh, and more and more rental yards were getting into kind of the dealer model. They were buying and selling equipment. Mm-hmm. So uh, we had kind of a unique at the time blend of our business. But as I look at the groups now, they're they're kind of shifting from being what traditionally was pure ARA and pure AED uh, to more of a blended model. And you're somewhere on that continuum, but almost everybody in the rental game sells their equipment at the end as opposed to, you know, used to almost run it into the ground and throw it away. And on the other end of the scale that the dealers didn't rent anything uh, and now recognize, you know, particularly as like a Bobcat dealer, there's people who need attachments that, they, they only need them a couple times a year. So the right thing is to provide them that opportunity. So uh, it's, it's worked well for us. Um, we've taken over a fair number of Bobcat dealer territories that just really couldn't survive as a Bobcat dealer. Wow. Um, That's... Uh, but with com- combined with rental, we can make it work. Now you, so the topics we're going to talk about today are some of the big picture topics, 40,000 foot level topics uh, for a business owner to think about. And certainly uh, 40,000 foot level denotes uh, getting on a plane and being at 40,000 feet and looking down. Um, You get with your peers uh, in a peer group setting. Do you feel that retreat type of um, approach to uh, adding another element to your thinking? Is that part of the help? of uh, joining a peer group, being part of a peer group? Yeah, I mean, it's really part of it just getting away and working on your business instead of working in your business. And mm-hmm. you know, whatever issues you're facing, somebody else is either facing that same issue or, or has faced it before, ideally, so that they can talk you through it and what they did and what worked and, and also what didn't work. So uh, that's one of the advantages is really just an interaction with your peers and, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize it could do that or hey, that's a different way to approach it or whatever. So yeah, getting away. Um, and quite honestly, sometimes we bring spouses along and it's good for the spouses to commiserate because you know, they realize that all, their, all of them have husbands who are, or wives who are, are uh, working a lot of hours and, and that's, uh, they need somebody to say, to whine to or whatever you want to call it. But uh, they need somebody that they can commiserate with and say, yeah, they're, He's always tied up on the computer at ten o'clock at night, uh, so it's good for. Well, and I also go ahead. I, I also I also love that the uh, the peer groups they don't stop speaking about their lives and business 
whether they're in the meeting room or whether they're out and about uh, having uh, meals together, um, you know, you probably more than anyone introduced uh, us to the sport of fishing in in the premier group. Uh, you had a couple couple fun experiences, didn't didn't you guys do something in Colorado? I think I missed that one, but I think you did something at Jim's place in Colorado or something. Yeah, we went fishing a small mountain stream. Uh, you know, fly fishing. Everybody, most of the guys had never been fly fishing before, so it was a, a great chance for them to learn. Not big fish, but a lot of fish. And and several of the guys yeah. have since gone wherever I go. I'm looking for fly fishing opportunities, and so uh, I in Allentown, Pennsylvania, behind the hotel we were at, I was fishing in the stream. So there's nice. there, there's opportunities everywhere. That's great. And the um, I remember fishing camp down in louisiana that was always a a good one. i think i you did one of those or did you do two of them i can't remember uh, i've done it two or three times and oh, it's it's got to yeah, be yeah. one of my favorite places on the planet to be honest you at least in the first time we went down you there was no cell phone reception no you know we we tried our hearts out to get uh, reception because i think the tele, television reception because there was a big game on that everybody wanted to watch but uh Wow. The member and I who yeah. the member who had the camp and myself, you know, we'd go get up early and go fish and come back and then get everybody else out of bed and go fish as a group and then come back and everybody else take naps and he and I'd go out again. So uh I'm not afraid of twelve and fourteen hour fishing days and in fact I thrive oh on it. Oh my word. Oh my word. Incredible. Well that's great. Um good to hear about that. Now let's let's talk about um Lepo because people in the Midwest seem to know Lepo. They drive by, uh, you know, on some local highways as you cut through uh, the Midwest, um, you'll see some things um, and you'll certainly see some trucks out and about. Give us the extensiveness, a little bit of the history of Lepo. Uh, I think it's fascinating information. It'd be great. Um, we were founded in 1945 by my grandfather and his uncle. Uh, became pretty obvious fairly quickly that my uncle, his uncle didn't belong in the business. So uh, I think by 1946, he was gone. Uh, my dad came into the business in 46 or 47. Uh, we were an Oliver farm equipment dealer. And uh, my grandfather was running a managing a dairy plant in Youngstown, Ohio, and uh, sold everything they owned and moved to the Akron, Ohio area, which is only, you know, only an hour today. But before that was a big deal, sold everything they had, bought a pickup truck, which wasn't cool at the time. And, <laughs> uh, you know, started just slowly building the business. I think they, they did like $2,700 the first year and just build it from there. Uh, my father took over eventually from my grandfather. My grandfather made it pretty hard on my dad. Um, cause he'd go to Arizona for six months and, and then come back and want to run it and, you know, the constant shift, if somebody didn't want to do something my dad wanted them to do, they just wait until grandpa came back and he'd reverse course. So, uh, dad made it fairly easy for my oldest brother, uh, Dale, he's 11 and a half years older than me. So, uh, my brother took over from my father and then, uh, I took over from Dale, became president of majority owner back in June of 2002. So at that point we just had, well, before that, uh, I came back. Well, how how old were you? How old were you in two thousand two? Do you remember? I was thirty eight. Well, you thirty eight. Yeah, okay, but I really we started on the expansion. I came back in ninety three, um, so mm -hmm. I was twenty nine years old, 
And I've been working for Fortune 500 companies. I'm an engineer by training, and I'd worked my way into management. And and I was looking at trying to figure out what to do. We had a we had one kid at the time, and we're looking to have another child. And and I grew up living in the same house from the time I was one till I you know left for college. And my wife had lived in the same house her entire childhood. And moving around, we were moving every few years to you know, keep moving up in the Fortune 500 world and decided that really wasn't for us because you build up relationships and they go away. So uh, we decided to come back to Ohio and, and my brother had been asking me for a few years to come back to the business. So anyhow, came back 90, 1993, late in 94, early 95, we had the opportunity to become a Bobcat dealer in an adjacent city. And we took that and actually at the time, we planned out going from the one store we had in 1993 to uh, four stores. So we grew from one to four. Then we paused for a little while, just kept adding. So right now we got six Bobcat dealers slash rental yards in Northeast Ohio, plus an oil and gas focused store, plus a access focused store and a corporate office in Ohio. So depending on how you want to count it, it's eight retail locations and the corporate offices. And then, wow. and then the opportunity came, one of our customers, a couple of our customers from Ohio uh, were chasing the oil and gas play down in Texas. So they went down there and said, hey, we really need you. And we said, we don't want to come. And they said, okay, can we take your equipment? We said, oh, all right. And, but it's on rent from the time it leaves till it comes back. And once they had enough equipment, they said, okay, now you need to come down. We said, all right. So we found a small rental yard that was for sale, bought them, moved in. And uh, we're really doing pretty well. We, we had a good team. We took a location manager from up here and took him down there. His family needed the transition for some other reasons. So it uh, worked out pretty wow. well for everybody and got a great team down there. Unfortunately, you know, oil price dropped to, well, negative for one day. And uh, yeah. oil drilling just shut down over there. And then... Bobcat also, we, we told Bobcat we wanted to expand. Northeast Ohio is not exactly a booming uh, part of the, the country from a population or overall growth standpoint. So we told them we wanted an opportunity if it came up to, to grow. And the Bobcat dealer who was in Tallahassee and Panama City, Florida, Opelika and Dothan, Alabama, uh, basically turned in the key, said they got bought. And the new owners after a year said, we really don't want to be the Bobcat dealer. We just want to keep doing all the other stuff, which was primarily rental. Uh, and so they turned in the keys to Bobcat and Bobcat was looking for some stability in that market. Uh, they, they'd had five, five owners in the last 10 years and you know, they just couldn't build up share because nobody knew who was going to be the dealer the next time they turned around. So uh, we're now the dealer down there. Of course, we're opening in the middle of the whole coronavirus pandemic. So we'll, we'll see how that goes, but it, yeah. Good now, am I here. reaching you? Are you, um, are you down in the Southeast right now? Do you live there or do you, we, I we, can't remember. We bought a house down there. Uh, today I'm in Ohio, okay. but, uh, last week I was down there and, uh, we we try and spend, the goal was originally half our time, but right now we're spending about a third, uh, of our time down there uh, during the whole coronavirus crisis there our kids who both live real close to us here in Ohio said you need to come up and stay up here because 
if something happens to you down there, we're not there. So, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Now what, um, so you, when you were 29, you were back. And so my question is like, when did you, I mean, I'm guessing at this point, you are looking at it going, all right, it's me and Dale. It's me and Dale. We're going to go. Um, were you were you committed that this was going to be your life's work that, you know, you and Karen were in this uh, for thick and thin to the end for Lepo? Or did you see it more like, oh, I'll be here for 10 years and I'll do something different? Or... Uh, no, actually, my brother and I talked about it. We're far enough apart in age that, you know, I knew that at some point I wanted to uh, be in charge of you know, be an entrepreneur, be the, the, be the man, if you want to call it that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and he was starting to burn out and it's tough being that person. And so, sure. uh, I, we made a deal that in five years I would either leave or stay. Uh, but we had a kind mm-hmm. of a, a decision point, uh, what in engineering terms we would call a stage gate, but some a clear decision point five years in that we'd either come up with an agreement to transition the majority ownership or or I would leave because I didn't want to be 50 years old trying to get back into engineering. And so uh, it just seemed like an appropriate thing to do and see whether I liked it, see whether my family liked being here. I knew I was going to work a lot of hours, but at least they didn't have to move. So the kids, you know, again, got, had the opportunity to grow up pretty much in the same house from the time they were little till they uh, went away to college. Got it. Okay. Excellent. And, and it is, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted you on this initial podcast or these initial podcasts were uh, because, you know, our introduction to you was you know, whatever, 20 years ago or 15 years ago. And, and, and yeah, and you had the future think going, you know, a lot of the members since that time have, you know, committed to business development programs and consultative services and, and really have, have, um, you know, massage that muscle, get that, that thinking going, but it was always neat to see you bring your binder to the uh, peer group sessions that had some of your, your long-term plan for the company, your legacy, so to speak. So with that, if, if it's okay, I'd love to segue into our uh, topic around primary aim. Um, part of what I want to do here, everyone, is just let you know that um, we do use uh, some e-myth topics from Michael Gerber, and uh, I use some of the, the wording that he might use. Um, there's plenty of different uh, you know, terms being used for different things. But this particular one really is talking about a, a, an individual. So not a business, but an individual. So Glenn, in your case, um, at what point did you start to really zero in on your your purpose here uh, on this earth? You know, what you were, were essentially meant to be and do here. Clearly, it would involve your family as well as your vocation and so forth. So what does that look like? I would say the early version probably started about 15 years ago. I have an executive coach I've been working with. I guess I'm a slow learner. I've had I've been working with the same person for over 15 years now, um, and she really helps me work through. You know, it's a combination. Sometimes it's business issues, but a lot of it's also personal stuff. Uh, and at the time, I had what I called uh, KEFFH: uh, Kids, Employees, fam- Family, Flexibility, and Health. Uh, were my targets, uh, what I was looking for in life. And 
that was a good place to start from. Uh, over time, I've, I've kind of massaged it and changed the format of it. I, I now call it my personal mission statement. Uh, you know, my kids are grown. Uh, one of them's in the business. One's still interested in coming back to the business, but my rule is I have to go someplace else for a while. So he's still in that somewhere place else for a while phase. Uh, oh, interesting. But I like that. That's yeah. We can talk neat. about that too. But uh, yeah. But my personal mission statement, or uh, some people. When I talked about it, somebody said, oh, you're raison d'etre, which is French for <laughs> the purpose of my existence. Uh, my one-sentence mm-hmm. version is to provide the opportunity for those within my circle of influence to achieve a level of success they would not have otherwise achieved. Wow, outstanding. That's that's pretty uh, – I could not even um, memorize that if that was mine. Uh, so I give you. <laughs> well, I keep trying that. to make it shorter, but, I, you know, yeah. it's, it's provide the opportunity because – uh, you know, whether, whether you're into this stuff or not, I, I'm privileged. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm white, I'm male, I'm tall, I'm straight. I grew up in a stable household, all those things that gave me privilege. Uh, yes, I also yeah. had the opportunity to work when I was 10 years old and, you know, got my first paycheck at 10. Now at the time I didn't mm-hmm. think that was very good because that meant I was working when everybody else was playing. But, you know, now I look back mm-hmm. and say, Hey, I had opportunities that other people didn't have. Uh, but you know, I, I wasn't given the business. I wasn't given a whole lot. Uh, but I was given plenty of opportunity, which other people don't have. So that's why providing the opportunity, uh, for those within my circle of influence to achieve a level of success they would not have otherwise achieved. So basically trying to break down barriers for people and give them opportunities. Um, almost all of our location managers have started in either the wash bay as a utility person or as a technician, I think we have one, maybe two exceptions. Uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up because I knew that about Lepo, but I forgot about it. So that's interesting. So, so tell us a little bit about, um, you know, I you're I always think of your company as a grassroots company, and that these individuals are developed once they come into uh, Lepo. Do you, do you feel like that would be an accurate statement uh, versus, you know, acquiring their, their degrees outside and, and bringing them in? I feel like they go to the school of Lepo a little bit. Is that true? Or? Yeah, that's pretty much true. Um, some of them have gone and gotten their degrees. I mean, some of them started yeah, working sure. for us, uh, you know, when they were either in college or, you know, we have, uh, one of our coworkers, uh, her name is Stephanie. She actually runs the Southeast division, if you want to call it that. Uh, mm-hmm. So the four location managers down there report to her. Well, one of our salesmen uh, loved the little ice cream store that was a couple hundred yards away from one of our locations. And mm-hmm. he saw Stephanie on the counter and said, you should come work for us because you got a great personality. And she started in the wash bay. And then she became a parts person and a rental person. And, you know, she just worked her way through the organization and then was running one store. And now she's actually still running the store, plus running the four down in Southeast. Uh, so uh, she's just a, one of those people. But she also, along the way, uh, went off and got her college, finished her college degree. And uh, as have several of the people who are now lo- running locations, but some of them haven't. Uh, yeah. You know, some of them have just gone to the school of Lepo and it's, uh, you know, they're good people. They have this, they have the, the 
core values that we look for. They have the desire to continually improve themselves. They're willing to change or willing to do what needs to be done. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. really in many ways, much more important than a piece of paper. How, how do you, so if you were to help someone with this step, because we, we have so many new, uh, members who, uh, have bought out their parents or in the process of buying out their parents, we actually have a, a group called uh, bro bag that is 80%. I would say they are in their twenties. Uh, but they're running in anything from a $1 million rental operation to a $20 million rental operation. In fact, one one gentleman is uh, 21 years old or 20 years old, something like that. And he's right now, uh, you know, in the process of, of taking over a $20 million rental. So what, how does that, how do we share with that individual how to go about identifying what their purpose is and, you know, having a bigger picture when they wake up in the morning? Well, the beautiful part of, of identifying your personal mission statement is, is you should expect it to change. Um, yeah. It's going to change over time. It's going to, you know, as you grow and your life situation changes and all those things, uh, really what drove a lot of change for me uh, is about eight years ago, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And mm. as part of that process, I, I really came to the realization that who I wanted to be and the influences I wanted to make uh, in society, I needed to do them sooner rather than later. Uh, I couldn't wait until mm -hmm. I retired and become a philanthropist or wait until I retired to get on boards and do these other things that I was interested in doing to help give people opportunities because, frankly, I may be in a wheelchair and I may be so focused on just you know making it day to day uh, that that wasn't it wasn't in the cards for me to be 85 years old and, and still uh, running around or my father's 92 and he still runs a bobcat, you know, three, four days wow. a week out, out on the farm. So um, hmm. that's probably not in the cards for me. So I just took it upon myself to get the company organized in such a way that we could run without me if necessary. Um, hmm. And what I, what I started to realize was that uh, I could blend my personal mission statement along with the business, uh, essentially mm -hmm. mission statement. And I mean, you're going to ask me about that at some point, but I'm going to bridge that yeah, gap yeah. right now if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, our, my overall picture, I call it sustainability. And this is not the tree hugger version of sustainability, although I have some of that in me because of my, my fishing passion. But, sure. but uh, sustainability is our, our version to explain it to our coworkers is that if somebody comes to work for us today, including the 18-year-old high school kid, uh, he should be, have the opportunity to retire from Lepos. Mm -hmm. So that's a 50-year vision. And you got to make a lot of right choices along the way. And that person has to have stayed on board the whole time. Uh, we had our only layoff in the history of the company in 2009. Uh, we let go 11 or 12 people. Well, 11, one kind of self-ejected. Mm -hmm. um, so that was tough. I had been through it when I was with a Fortune 500 company. And we, you know, I was, came down from on high, cut three people, and I'd go find three people I had to cut. And I didn't want to do that. And so we've tried to set ourselves up so we don't have to 
to let people go during downturns. And yeah, we, we take it a bit of a punishment from a profitability standpoint, but when we come out of those downturns, we have a strong team. So when we came out of the 2009, 10, which was the tough years for us, uh, you know, we had a lot of very skilled people and we were ready to go. And so we captured a lot of growth during that time period that other people couldn't because they didn't have the people on board to make it happen. So gotcha. uh, sustainability is really the, the core philosophy. Uh, then we have something called the LEPO way. Uh, mm-hmm. First part is meet your commitments, be thorough. The tricky one is make decisions in the best interest of customers, coworkers, owners, community, and vendors. So you have to consider mm-hmm. all the parties. And if it's, uh, it's negative for any of those, you haven't found the right answer yet. So all, all the stakeholders. All the stakeholders have to be either at least neutral, if not positive. Uh, and that can be a real challenge. And then the last, eight, last part of the LEPO way is if you don't know the right answer, ask questions. So gotcha. you know, it's that humbleness of saying, I'm not sure what to do here. Let's talk to some other people and see if I can come up with the right answer. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, so you you were talking about uh, we were talking about Lepo Way and and really um, yeah we uh, were talking we... about EOS started to talk about EOS that's uh, right entrepreneurial right. operating system and it and it really just fits with who we are um, it's very structured it uh, provides opportunities for people to pass information up and down from a communication standpoint and really the big thing is it clearly sets accountability everybody knows what their role is. Those are pieces of the puzzle. Um, we're not perfect at it. We're still getting a lot, you know, doing a lot of work in it. But part of that is defining your core values. And they're fairly similar to the LEPO way. Uh, the first one we defined was we care. And uh, we hope that our customers see that. Second one is right out of the LEPO way, which is meet, we meet our commitments. Uh, the third one is we trust our, we're, we're trusted experts. We don't mm-hmm. want to do things that we can't be the best at. And so when whether we're taking on a new product to sell or rent, uh, we really dig into it enough that when people call us and they want to make sure you know, they're trying to get a piece of equipment for a job, we know they're getting the right piece of equipment because we can be their trusted expert. And the last one has to do with passion of, of our people. It's we love what we do. People either mm-hmm. love their role um, so somebody, you know, a technician may love working on equipment. He doesn't have to love the industry or love, you know, renting equipment, but if he loves what he does or he loves the industry, same with our accountants, same with everybody, uh, we just have people who love what they do. And if somebody matches all four of those, they definitely belong on the bus and we'll find them the right seat. Um, or if they're, you know, kind of sometimes one of those is on or off, that, that's okay. We can deal with those folks. But if somebody's not one of those four core, doesn't match up with one of those core, four core values, they're, they're off the bus. Uh, they don't belong mm-hmm. on the bus. So we've, we've uh, helped a couple people see that they don't belong on our bus and, and go find another bus to, to sit on. And it doesn't mean they're bad people. It just, they don't meet what we look for. And it's really helped us out. That's great. Um, when you start speaking of, of your people strategy and your people in your company, having the values of the company, uh, that does seem uh, 
pretty critical. Um, I, I know that our, our second segment here is going to be dealing with um, kind of the vision of, you know, where you see your company going. And obviously that has to do with fulfillment and the people inside your company and what they do. So we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit and look at some of the leadership roles um, in your company and why you've structured it that way. But, but before we do that, just to kind of bring this piece to a head, um, you, you know, we're getting, we're getting a sense of the LEPO values. We're getting a sense of the mission and also how you personally tie into that. Um, what, what else are you, what about, um, I know you had mentioned, uh, the community and the stakeholders in your community. What, how do you, what does that look like in terms of if I'm a LEPO employee, am I, do I think about the community? Do, am I part of the solution? Like, I don't know if you guys have done things where some, an employee's brought up a suggestion to support the community a certain way or anything like that, or. You asked about our coworkers and, and participating in the community. And there's some things that we do on a pretty regular basis. The Boy Scouts who come to us and they're looking for a uh, auger drive because they're putting in a, you know, a deck for the local park or whatever. Um, we've always helped with those kinds of things, but also uh, the Cancer Society has a big event and they need light towers and we provide those. Uh, we get involved in a lot of, you know, small community stuff, but also uh, 4-H is big here. I'm not sure if it's big everywhere, but 4-H is big here. We go to most of the county fairs and buy cows and pigs and chickens and, and uh, provide the meat to the local food shelters. So those are some concrete things. Um, I, don't, I don't really like to talk about it too much, but this spring uh, we, had, we saw the whole COVID thing come down. And uh, so my wife and I have what's called a donor advised fund. And we took uh, a fairly significant amount of money and, and said every location has $5,000. Go find one charity that's doing something to help support the community at this time of crisis. And so every store uh, got to pick a charity to get 5,000 bucks. Uh, so we donated a total of $75,000 through the individual locations. And we also gave some to our local community foundation that was also have a COVID fund. Uh, so that, that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I, and I think that kind of tells the story, you know, one of the, my points down here to speak about is, you know, the LEPO way, what is your business story? Every one of our peer group members should be able to uh, write a story that best exemplifies the LEPO way. So, or whatever their particular uh, vision is, right, for their company, who they want to be in a specific marketplace. Um, and, and it's not necessarily just, hey, what's a good success story that tells us about who you are as a company. It could be uh, a failure that took place or a monumental failure that took place that, um, you know, colors who you guys are as an entity and, and the individuals running your business. So um, the, any other business stories you can think of that are, is a great example of, of exemplifying a LEPA way type of story. I think of like employees uh, working for Starbucks and working for different companies that have certain uh, branded images around people strategy. I Lepo Lepo feels that way to me. Seeing that uniform on a Lepo employee, what would be a story? 
Well, yeah, I, I kind of started down the path. I was, uh, it's not one I share proudly, but you know, we did let some people go in 2009. Uh, and when we started down that path, everybody was doing it. You know, it's like, okay, you know, businesses dropped 30%, whatever it was. We need to take a hard look at our people. There were some people, you know, like most organizations, we had some people who really probably didn't belong on the bus using today's terms. Yep. But uh, we didn't deal with it on a one-at-a-time basis. We, we took and, you know, let a whole bunch of people go, 11 people go all at the same time. And that really solidified for me the desire never to do that again. Mm. So uh, we've had some opportunities to grow that we've chosen not to take because they use a lot of people. Mm. Uh, an example would be rehabbing used machines. Uh, during the downturn, soon after that, we were actually looking at a second round of, of layoffs and we said, hold on, what would we have to do to not lay anybody off? And so we started looking for the positive spin. How could you, what could we do to keep everybody on board? And we came up with a revenue target and an expense cut target and all that kind of stuff and said, okay, this, if we can do this, we can keep everybody on board the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. um, it was $27.5 million and we ended up doing 27, uh, sorry, it was 26 and a half million. We did 26.6. Wow. Uh, we kept everybody on board. It was, you know, one of our successes, but it came out of failure. And, uh, and one of the things we did was rehabbing machines. We bought a bunch of machines that were trade-ins to Bobcat. They were painted green and they were hideously ugly and bad mechanical shape and all that kind of stuff. And we took a huge amount of technician time to get those all mechanically sound. And then also we spent the time to paint them. So they look like almost new machines mm -hmm. and, uh, we didn't make a lot of money at it, but we made enough money to keep those people productively busy. Well, we could have kept doing that business, mm -hmm. but the problem is the next time you turn down, what do you do? So, uh, because if you've already done that, if you've already doing that, then, then you're screwed because when you come up against the next downturn, you're going to have to let those people go. Mm. And we've just chosen not to take that path. We've chosen not to get into super heavy people, uh, needed issues because, we don't want to have to let people go in gotcha. a downturn. Gotcha. That makes sense. You know, and it's funny, everything you spoke about over the last 40 minutes or so really exemplifies uh, how you create some structure and some documentation and some um, thoughts that uh, that can translate to others, right? Your key people. Um, how, do, you know, if Glenn Lepo, God forbid, gets hit by a bus, which, you know, hopefully never happens, but... Um, you know, how do, how does Lepo continue to, to move forward and, and hold some of the values, uh, that, you know, your generation, uh, you know, brought from your previous generation and so forth and so on. Our guest on Peer Talk today has been Glenn Lepo, CEO of Lepo Rents and Lepo Equipment. Join us next time as Glenn unpacks his people strategy where we will go into detail about the role of the president as well as the role of the owner. See you next time. You've been listening to Peer Talk from Peer Executive Groups, produced and directed by Noah Crowley and hosted by Dan Crowley. Subscribe to this podcast for notifications of future episodes of Peer Talk.